chapter 11 this morning as we open God's word today. How important is the battery component of the vehicle you drive? Would you say it's pretty important? The reality is whether you drive a traditional fuel vehicle, a hybrid vehicle, or an all-electric vehicle, the battery is important. You need it. Without it, or with one that is not functioning as it should, you won't be able to start your vehicle and go anywhere. This past Monday, our family went to Wilson together. Family is my off day, or excuse me, Monday is my off day. Family, I don't know what day that is. Monday is my off day, and we call it our family day. And the schedule too much so we can just spend time together. But because of sickness several weeks ago, we had to reschedule some appointments. And two of our children had dental appointments on Monday, and we just decided to all go together. Stephanie took the two children into the appointment that had appointments, and I stayed in the vehicle with the other kids. And after an hour plus, Stephanie let me know the appointment was over, and so I had I had pulled around to the back of the the building. We had the kids' scooters with us, and Brooklyn got her scooter out to just ride around while we were waiting. And so I was going to pull back to the front of the building, and I turned the key, nothing. No noise, no ignition, no lights, absolutely nothing. And I sat there for a moment, and I said, surely it was an anomaly. So I pulled the key back to the off position, waited a moment, and tried again, nothing. Not even the dreaded clicking sound. There was literally nothing, and I knew, we're not going anywhere. I'm going to have to start walking to somewhere to get a battery or find someone to jump the car or something, and fortunately, I remembered that Gabe and Jay didn't have school Monday, so I gave Gabe a call all the while praying, Lord, let him be home, because we were literally like two minutes from their house, and he was home, and So he came over and tried to jump me. It wouldn't even jump. So we loaded into his vehicle, took Steph and the kids over to their house. Gabe took me to a store to buy a battery. And we put the new battery in the vehicle. And as you know, probably happened, it started right up. No problem. And we've had no problem ever since. But the battery component is so important. Without it, You can't start your vehicle. You can't go anywhere. You need that battery's power. As I read Luke 11, 14 through 36, and if you were to sit down and read this passage, it may seem like a series of disconnected accounts from Jesus' ministry. And so putting it all into one message may seem really odd. But as I read through it, I see a connection running throughout that's illustrated by the importance of the battery to a vehicle. 
Because throughout these verses, Jesus' power is vividly displayed. Like the car needs a battery to operate, so we need the power of Jesus. Why? Why do we need the power of Jesus? This text reveals and illustrates four ways the power of Jesus was needed that all apply to our lives today. And before I show you those four ways, let's pray and ask God to help us to see with eyes of faith today. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be in this place today. Thank you for the word of God that we can hold and have in our hands and in our hearts. And I pray as the word of God is preached today that you would lead every word, that you would place every word right where you want it to be in our ears, minds, and hearts. And I ask that we would see the truth of the word today and be convinced that we need the power of Jesus. You know where every person here today or watching or listening online is at in their lives. And you know what needs to be done to take them from where they are to where you want them to be. And I pray that you would do that work. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one. I want you to see this. The power of Jesus brings freedom out of bondage. Look at chapter 11, verse 14. The Bible declares, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. And the people wondered. Now jump down to verse number 20. The Bible declares, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come to you or upon you. From what we saw last week with Jesus speaking about the most important conversations we have in life, which are what? Do you remember? Prayer. Luke tells us an account of Jesus casting out a devil. And what we find in verse number 14 is an identification of the superiority of Jesus' power. We've seen Jesus cast out demons before. This is not the first time. We've even seen Jesus cast multiple demons out of the same person. So we've seen this demonstration of Jesus' power, but there is something unique about this occasion. As you look at it, can you pick out what may be unique to this particular occasion? The Bible says something about the demon or the man in whom the woman in whom the demon possesses what is it they are what dumb an inability to speak or a, an unwillingness to speak why was this important why does luke bring this up not once but twice in this brief verse it's because 
there is this dumbness. And in the culture of the day, we understand that the Jews believed for one to have authority and power over a demon, they needed to know the demon's name and to speak the demon's name. Do you remember when Jesus cast the demons of the madman of Gadara? Jesus even asked the demon, what is your name? And the demon answered, legion. And the demon also said of Jesus, I know who you are. You're the son of God. That was not a declaration of faith in the demon. That was the demon's attempt to exert power and authority over Jesus by knowing his identification. So when the Bible tells us that this demon is dumb, he's mute, it is either an inability to speak or an unwillingness to speak, but either way, the demon did not or could not speak his name to Jesus. And so when Jesus still cast the demon out of the, the man or the woman that, that was possessed of the demon, the people marveled, they wondered, they were amazed at the power of Jesus because Jesus did not even need to know or speak the demon's name to have power over that demon. That is power. His power exceeded even their belief. And then in verse number 20, Jesus in response to their criticism, the criticism of some there said this, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils. If Jesus in verse 14 displayed the superiority of his power, here he displays the supply of his power. Let me ask you a question. How much power resides in your finger? Pick any of them. Your index finger. Your ring finger. Your pinky finger. Even, even the longest and largest, the, the middle finger on your hand. How much power, strength, really resides in your finger? And the answer to that would be not a whole lot, right? Yes, you can do some things with your finger, and certainly they are important to your body, but there's not a lot of strength. There's not a lot of power there. What does Jesus say? We look at his work of casting out a demon, and what do we say about it? It's miraculous that is amazing that is powerful and what does jesus say about it this is just the finger of god do you know what that tells me what we say is miraculous and wonderful and powerful and amazing and it is is simply a small sampling of the almighty Jesus didn't have to, if I can say it this way without being irreverent, Jesus didn't have to work super hard. Jesus didn't have to put all his strength, all his might, all his power into this work. He did it by the finger of God. It's a recognition of the supply of his power. We need to acknowledge something today. We need to acknowledge that Satan 
is more powerful than we are. Can you acknowledge that today? He is more powerful than you. He is more powerful than me. But at the same time, let's recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is more powerful than Satan. And it's not by a close margin. He is much more powerful than Satan. As a possessed man or woman, this individual experienced bondage to the control and desire of the demon that dwelt inside of him or her. When a demon possesses someone, that person becomes a slave to the demon, to the demon's will, to the demon's desire, to the demon's wishes and actions and behaviors. This individual was a slave, was in bondage to, was a captive to the demon that dwelt inside him or her. But when Jesus showed up, and without saying the demon's name, cast the demon out, when Jesus showed up and by the finger of God commanded that demon and ruled over that demon, Jesus brought freedom to the captive. Do you know what that tells me? Whatever holds me captive today and whatever holds you captive, by his power, Jesus can bring freedom. My friend, is there something that you're in bondage to today? Is there something that holds you captive, that has you bound, that has you enslaved? You feel as if you have no power over that person you feel if you have no power over that behavior you feel as if you have no control over that addiction and there is nothing you can ever do to break the power of that thing in your life listen to me today it is true that satan is more powerful than you but it is even more true that jesus is more powerful than satan and jesus can bring freedom out of bondage his power is capable. Number two, I want you to see this in this text. The power of Jesus brings victory out of defeat. Look at verses 21 and 22. The Bible says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. It's a simple th thought here that Jesus is presenting. You have a strong man who is guarding his palace. He's guarding his, his, his things. But a stronger man can what? Overcome him. The picture you see that, that was already put up, this is actually a relative of mine. His name is Jess Willard. I'm not sure exactly what the connection is to my family. But Jess Willard, who was born in the late 1800s and lived into the 1960s, was a professional boxer. He began his boxing career early in the 1900s and was actually really good at it in, 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 a, in a way. He actually was known to have terrible technique. In fact, some described him as a big oaf as it comes to boxing. He, he wasn't real good as a skilled boxer. But what he had going for him is he was 
big and he was strong. In fact, he was billed as the Potawatomi giant. For a man who lived at that time, he was six foot seven and 240 pounds. He was a big, strong guy. But he was also known as being friendly and gentle. People said of him that he actually did not like boxing. He didn't like fighting. So as a boxer, he took this stance. He, he would go into the ring and wait on his opponent to attack first. And then in his thinking, he was just defending himself, and that gave him the inspiration to begin fighting back. But he was really strong. In fact, it was said of Jess that he could kill a man with a single punch. And in fact, in a boxing match in 1913, he did kill his opponent with a single punch. The ninth round, this boxer came at Jess and was throwing punches, and Jess leveled one punch square, square into the man's face, and the man fell down and never got up again. From 1915 to 1919, Jess was the boxing weight champion of the world. He was a strong man. He worked through and progressed in his boxing career and earned the heavyweight champion title of the world, for which he defended successfully for four years. But guess what happened? Someone stronger faster, more skilled, beat him and took his place. In Jesus' analogy, Satan is the strong man. Satan is that strong man who's guarding his palace, who's keeping his stuff, who trusts in his armor and his resources. He's at home, he's, he's guarding his palace, he's guarding his goods until a stronger one comes. How does that fit with reality? The Bible reveals that Satan is the god of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He holds authority and power in the world. And when Jesus came into the world... The whole world was plunged in darkness, deception, and death. Even God's own people, the Jews, lived under the weight of Satan's rule and oppression. The Bible declares to us that at the time Jesus came, the whole world was plunged in darkness. The whole world was plunged in deception and death was all that the world knew. But when Jesus, the stronger man, came and finished his work, Satan was defeated. Even when it seemed as if Satan won the victory when Jesus was nailed to and died on a cross, Jesus actually won the victory. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He writes, In whom, speaking of Jesus, also are ye circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. 
and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in Did you hear what Paul said? Jesus went to the cross, and just as his body was nailed to that old rugged cross, so Jesus nailed your sins and the record of your sins and even the law that pointed out your guilt to his cross. And when he did, he won the victory over those powers and those principalities that stand against you and me. He won the victory. Jesus, by his power, brings victory out of defeat. So can I ask you today, Do you feel defeated? Are you defeated? Maybe you're living in a constant state of defeat. Feeling that you can't get the victory. You can't win. You can't be successful. You can't be the victor. Friend, can I remind you today that Jesus, by his power, brings victory out of defeat. He won the victory. And by his power, he's made you a victor in him. You can have the victory today. Number three, notice this. The power of Jesus brings life out of death. Look at verses 29 and 30. Here, the Bible says, And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also shall the Son of Man be to this generation. What is Jesus talking about here? Jonas, Jonah, you remember his story, don't you? He was a prophet of God. And when God came to him and told him to go to Nineveh, what did he do? He ran the other way, didn't he? He jumped a ship and said, take me to Tarshish, the opposite direction from where God was sending him. But when that storm came up, Jonah knew that that storm was from God because of his disobedience. He told the other sailors, you don't believe in God, but I do. I'm a prophet of God. Cast me off the boat and the storm will cease. He was still unwilling to repent and go and do what God told him to do. But God wouldn't let him off that easy. They threw him overboard and God sent a great fish. The New Testament calls it a whale to swallow him up. And for three days and three nights, Jonah was there in the belly of that well where God finally got his attention. And Jonah repented and decided that he would go to Nineveh as God told him to do. What does this have to do with Jesus? Jesus makes it more clear in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12 and verse number 40. There the Bible says Jesus said... 
For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Interesting. When, when was that? It was after his crucifixion, and he was buried. And Jesus said, for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. His body will be in the earth, buried. But only for that length of time. Jesus died. But that wasn't the end of his story. He rose victorious over death, the grave, and hell. And his victory secures and assures the same for all who believe in him. The Bible teaches that we are born into the world dead spiritually. Every man, every woman born into the world, every boy, every girl born into the world is born into the world dead spiritually. You may have spirituality, but without spiritual life. Apart from life in Christ, you are spiritually dead, and spiritual death concludes an eternal spiritual death separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. Here's how Revelation records it. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Did you notice how the Bible referred to those who were called to this judgment? They are the what? the dead. And it's easy for us to just say, well, that means people who lived and then died, and we would say they are dead. But that's, that's not the idea. What the Bible is speaking of here is spiritual death. Those who, whether they are physically alive or not, without new life in Christ, they are spiritually dead. We read it in Colossians chapter 2. Paul said, apart from Christ, you're dead in your sins. Ephesians 2 says it too. You are dead in your sins apart from Jesus Christ. And if you go through physical life without dealing with that reality that you are dead spiritually and then you die physically, that spiritual death will continue into eternity. And after that judgment called the great white throne judgment where all the dead, spiritually dead, stand before God and are judged, you're cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Isn't it about time? You've heard the truth and the message of the love of Jesus. 
He died for you. Let that sink in. He died for you. Can you turn away from that? Can you treat that so casually? Someone loved you enough to die for you. And not because you were so wonderful to them. He died for you while you were still a sinner. He died for you while you were still sinning. He died for you when you were still running from him. He died for you when you had turned your back on and rejected him. He died for you. And because he died for you, and then three days later rose to life again, you can have new life in him. Our Savior Jesus brings life out of death. You're born into this world spiritually dead, but we have a Savior who gave his life and then rose again, defeating death, the grave, and hell. And he offers you new life because he loves you so much. Don't turn away from him. Isn't it about time to receive him? Isn't it about time to accept the gift? He gives you new life. Number four, we learn in this text that the power of Jesus brings light out of darkness. Look at verses 33 to 36. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel but on a candlestick, that they would come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, the whole body is also full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is also, also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. I don't know if this has ever happened with you who are parents, but my children often think that I can control laws or forces of nature that I have no control over whatsoever. It was several months back when we were still in the thick of winter and the, you know, night was coming at, you know, 4.30 in the afternoon. And it was getting dark and I think we were spending time outside and one of my children said something to the effect of daddy don't 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 let the sun set yet as if I had some control over it I I can't keep it light this past Wednesday evening it was raining a little when we were leaving church to go home and we walked out the door over here and one of my children said daddy make it stop raining okay I'm glad you think daddy can do anything and everything, but yeah, not going to happen. And I was, what do you expect me to do? Like, hold my hands up and say stop raining and it'll happen? Not going to happen. I know what the Bible says about faith as a grain of mustard seed, but I don't think that was the application. But our Savior brings light out of darkness. Paul tells us in Corinthians that God spoke light into, dark, into the darkness at the beginning. What was there? 
We know Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. But what was there before the beginning? God was there. But what else was there? Just a whole bunch of darkness. But then God created the heaven and the earth. And then God said, let there be light. And you better believe when God says, let there be light, there's light. A whole lot of light. Paul wrote, that same God who spoke light into the darkness at the beginning is the same one who shines the light of the gospel of Jesus into our lives. Jesus brings light to darkness. Where there is confusion, he clarifies where there is destruction, he restores. Where there is brokenness, he heals. Where there is distress, he brings peace. Where there is hurt, he soothes. He is the one who brings light to the darkness. Throughout the word of God, this has the idea of bringing the truth where there's deception of bringing the clarity where there's confusion of bringing sight where there is blindness and it is our Jesus who does that work so whatever darkness you're living in today maybe you're living in the darkness of confusion Jesus brings light maybe you're living in the darkness of distress Jesus brings peace Maybe you're living in the darkness of hurt. Jesus brings soothing. Maybe you're living in the darkness of brokenness. Jesus brings healing. Whatever darkness you're living in, Jesus is the one who brings the light. He's the light of the world. And the Bible tells us that his light shines to every man. It's simply up to you to open your eyes. To let the light of Christ shine into your heart and into your life. And as we think about these truths, Jesus' power brings freedom where there's bondage. Jesus, by his power, brings victory out of defeat. Jesus, by his power, brings life out of death. By his power, brings light out of darkness. There are three responses to Jesus that we can all have that are identified here in the text. Look back, if you would, at verses 15 and 16. Jesus cast the demon out, and the people marveled, but there were some there who made an interesting claim. Look at it, verses 15 and 16 of Luke 11. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils, and others tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Jesus, you're casting out demons using Satan's power. Uh, give us a sign from heaven as if the power... Of casting out demons isn't sign enough. What kind of a response is this? Well, this is just straight up denial. There are some 
perhaps here or listening or watching online, you hear the claims of Jesus. You've heard the gospel of Jesus. You've heard the message of the love of Jesus and your response is simple denial. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. You can't convince me of that can't convince me there's a God and if there is that he's a God who loves me so much that that he sent his son to die for me he rose again that that's crazy talk I, I can't believe that denial then there's acceptance in verses 27 and 28, a woman speaks up as Jesus is, is working and talking and teaching. And she says, blessed is the womb that bare thee. Blessed is your mother. And what does Jesus respond? Verse 28. Yea, rather, blessed are they that, what? Hear the word of God and keep it. What kind of response is that? Acceptance. Acceptance of God's truth. Acceptance of God's word. If God said, I believe it. If God leads, I'll follow. If God commands, I'll obey. Acceptance. But then there's a third response that's demonstrated in the text, and I would submit this is where most find themselves. And it's the response that I would call neutrality. They're sitting on the fence. They're not choosing in their minds one way or another. They're not actively choosing and believing in and living for Christ. But nor are they actively in their minds opposing him, standing against him. Their attitude is, if you want to believe that and follow him, go right ahead. That's fine with me. If not, that's fine with me too. There are even some who would profess faith in Jesus Christ who take a neutral stance. Oh yeah, I believe him. Uh, yeah, I, I'm for God. I, I believe God. Give him my whole life? What? Give him all that I am? Well, No, I don't, I'm not going to go that far. That's kind of... That's kind of out there. Neutrality. But look at what Jesus said about that in verse number 23 of Luke chapter 11. He said, He that is not with me is what? Against me. And he that, he that gathereth not with me, what? Scattereth. You know what Jesus said? There's no such thing as neutrality. But yet this is where most find themselves. I'm not actively choosing Christ, but I'm not actively fighting against him either. I believe in Christ, but surrender my whole life to him? Make my whole life about him? I don't know about that. Fence sitters. Towing the line. They're walking the line. They're not on this side. They're not on that side. They're trying to straddle that middle area. And Jesus says there's no such thing. You're either for me 
actively with me or you're against me. You're actively working for me or you're working against me. There's no middle ground. And yet, I wonder how often I try to live in a middle ground. If you're that person who responds to Jesus with denial, I want to challenge you genuinely truth with an open mind don't simply continue in criticism or skepticism look at the truth put it to the test with an open mind read the word of god put it to the test look at history look at the historical evidence of jesus his life his death his resurrection with an open mind put it to the test through history And most who do so with an open mind cannot continue criticizing or skepticizing, if that's a word. If you've accepted, fill your life with Christ so there is no room for anything else to come in and steal his place. That's why Jesus talked about the whole body being full of light, your eye being single, your heart undivided so full of Christ that there's no room for anything else to squeeze in and steal his place. And if you're neutral, recognize the foolishness of that and respond to the truth now. Jesus is so powerful, he brings freedom to where there's bondage. He brings victory out of defeat. He brings life out of death. He brings light out of darkness. We all need the power of Jesus, and it's available. How will you respond? With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, only you can answer that question for you. And it's to do so, isn't it? How long are you going to continue putting off the decision that you need to make for Jesus? You're here in this auditorium. You're watching or listening by way of the internet. You've heard the message of Jesus, his love for you, what he's done for you, time and time and time again. And you have never personally, sincerely responded faith to the truth that God sent his son Jesus out of a heart of love he lived the perfect life that you can't he died the death you deserve and he rose again to life to give you new life and you have never by faith repented of your sin and trusted Christ for salvation are you going to continue to put it off today Right now, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, stop and believe on Jesus Christ. And the moment you do, he'll give you new.